you're having a great uh, Labor Day. Hope you had a good weekend. Would have been nice to be able to party, but uh, didn't get to do that. Besides, we're kind of in the pandemic. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought I'd do something a little bit different today and um, play an audiobook. Um, this is one of my favorites um, about the importance of proper breathing to just overall health. Um, I wrote an article a couple weeks into the pandemic, or, well, I should say the pandemic, a couple weeks after the national emergency was declared in the United States, and uh, I knew it would be pretty essential uh, for people to know how important uh, strengthening the immune system would be. Um, so I made a huge effort to get that done as soon as possible. Um, not the easiest feat, but um, I knew I needed to do it to help people out because I knew what was going to happen. I knew uh, the news was going to come on and, and fear us into thinking that... Um, that our immune system doesn't work anymore and that uh, it can't be changed and a whole slew of other things that uh, go against our immune system um, working as it should. And in most cases, the simple fact is, is that when people get like more critical symptoms of a virus, in this case COVID, um, it's used, It's not so much about the virus, the virus itself. It's more so about the state of their health, whether or not they're going to have a severe symptom or a mild symptom, or in some cases, no symptom at all. You know, they're tested. Oh shoot, I had COVID, but I don't feel anything. I mean, I don't feel sick. So. Some people just have a stronger immune system than others, and uh, that makes a huge difference in um, the pathology or the, the way their body reacts to the virus. In, in, in actuality, the way their immune system reacts to the virus, or if you want to go deeper, how the immune system responds. It's, emer it's emergency response. It's not emergency reaction. So... Big difference, you know. Uh, a reaction is something you like just jump on real quick. You don't really think about it, and then bad things happen. You know, a response is something that's intelligent. It's uh, calculated. It's um, it's accurate. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and play that for you guys, and uh, we'll just listen to it together. And uh, yeah, in the live um, podcast you would be able to comment, but I'm going to go ahead and post this up after the fact and share it, so um, you might be able to make comments on it, um, yeah, as we go, so I'm going, to, I'm going to go ahead and share this to at least Facebook, while we're waiting for the show to start. <laughs>
you guys had a good Labor Day considering what's going on. I saw I even I already saw stuff on the news and stuff. People like you know, younger people mostly uh, doing crazy parties and stuff, big groups. And, um, I don't know what exactly to say about that, but um. I know the statistics are very um, low for a younger person um, having severe symptoms of this virus or dying. So I think a lot of them are just feeling that they're not susceptible to this and that maybe they just trust their immune system. I don't know. Um, I think if they knew why they were doing that and, and they fully understood the ramifications of, you know, being close to each other during this pandemic. Um, but I've, I have a feeling many of them don't understand how the immune system works, whether or not they've got a strong immune system or not. They just assume, oh, I'm young. I'm generally immune to this. This virus is not going to hurt me. They're probably not thinking of of the idea that they might take it and, and infect, um, get it and, and infect their their uh, elder elders, so to speak. So, um, kind of mixed feeling about that. Um, but anyway, I'm gonna go ahead and play this for you guys. Um, see how it goes. raise the volume. I'm going to go low at first. Enough, basically just enough for me to hear it. Translates to excessive breathlessness during exercise. If our breathing is off during rest, it would be unreasonable to expect it to automatically correct itself during physical exercise. A seemingly innocuous tendency to breathe through the mouth during the day or night and breathe noticeably during rest means you will be more breathless during training and often limits your capacity to go faster and farther. These poor breathing habits can be the difference between a healthy and vibrant life and an ill and feeble one. Overbreathing causes the narrowing of airways, limiting your body's ability to oxygenate and the constriction of blood vessels, leading to reduced blood flow to the heart and other organs and muscles. These systemic impacts affect your health profoundly whether you're a professional athlete or your main exercise is walking up the stairs of your house. Great sports careers can plateau or even be cut short by an athlete's overbreathing. The lungs let the individual down and, no matter how strong the rest of the body is, unnecessary excess breaths take their toll. As most athletes know, our lungs give out long before our arms and legs. It all comes down to our need for that invisible yet vital basis for human life, oxygen. Here's the paradox. The amount of oxygen your muscles, organs and tissues are able to use is not entirely dependent on the amount of oxygen in your blood. Our red blood cells are saturated with between 95 and 99% oxygen, and that's plenty for even the most strenuous exercise. A few of my clients with serious pulmonary disease have a lower oxygen saturation level, but this is very rare. 
What determines how much of this oxygen your body can use is actually the amount of carbon dioxide in your blood. You may remember from biology class that we breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide, also called CO2. Most people learn that carbon dioxide is just a waste gas that we exhale from our lungs, but it is not a waste gas. It is the key variable that allows the release of oxygen from the red blood cells to be metabolized by the body. This is called the Bohr effect. Understanding and utilizing this physiological principle will allow you to stop overbreathing. Discovered over a hundred years ago, the Bohr effect explains the release of oxygen to working muscles and organs. Most people don't realize that the amount of carbon dioxide present in our blood cells determines how much oxygen we use. The crux of it is this. How we breathe determines the levels of carbon dioxide present in our blood. When we breathe correctly, we have a sufficient amount of carbon dioxide and our breathing is quiet, controlled and rhythmic. If we are over-breathing, our breathing is heavy, more intense and erratic, and we exhale too much carbon dioxide, leaving our body literally gasping for oxygen. It's very intuitive. If we breathe better, increasing the amount of carbon dioxide inside us, then we can deliver more oxygen to our muscles and organs, including the heart and brain, and thus heighten our physical capacity. All we're really doing is assisting the body in working the way it was meant to work in the first place. Bringing the mountain to you. To understand how part two of the oxygen advantage works, let's look at an example most of us are familiar with. High altitude training, a technique often used by elite athletes to improve their cardiovascular fitness and to improve their endurance. High altitude training first came to the attention of coaches and athletes during the 1968 Summer Olympics held in Mexico City at a height of 2,300 meters above sea level. Many competing athletes found that when they returned to sea level, their performance surpassed their previous personal best, prompting coaches to question whether athletes might perform better if they live or train at high altitude. At high altitude, the air is thin, which results in reduced atmospheric pressure of oxygen. The body adapts to this environment by increasing the number of red blood cells. Think of red blood cells as your very own Popeye's spinach, only they come from your body instead of out of a can. Upping the presence of red blood cells translates into improved oxygen delivery to the muscles, a reduction of lactic acid buildup, and stronger overall performance, including longer endurance, and a lower risk of inflammation and injury. But of course, the catch is that high-altitude training is not available to most of us, which brings me to the goal of this book. You don't need to go to the mountain. The mountain can come to you. I will show you how to make this happen through simple techniques that, in effect, take you up a mile high. By learning how to simulate high-altitude training, you will increase the oxygen-carrying capacity of your bloodstream, allowing your red blood cells to fuel new capabilities. Additionally, it will help you to sustain sharper psychological focus during physical activity as you become less conscious of the act of breathing. This will free you to devote more attention to maintaining proper form while exercising or formulating strategy in a competitive sport. 
If you reduce your breathing and properly regulate the amount of air you take in, you will teach your body to breathe more efficiently and you will become healthier. No matter what your athletic baseline is to begin with, better breathing will revolutionize your fitness, your endurance, and your performance. I know this for a fact because I have experienced it myself. I was once a chronic overbreather. Back in 1997, I was an executive in the corporate world, but since childhood, I had experienced poor health as a result of asthma. My identity was based on everything that I wasn't. I wasn't fit, I wasn't healthy, and I wasn't confident. I looked desperately for a solution to my health problems. Then, I found it. My life changed forever when I discovered the work of the late Dr. Konstantin Pateko, a brilliant Russian physician who conducted groundbreaking research to determine the optimal breathing for astronauts during the Soviet space race. The Cold War had trapped his pioneering methods on the other side of the Iron Curtain, but starting in the 1990s, they began to be known in the rest of the world. Using breathing exercises based on Pateko's teachings, I successfully reversed my own sleep-disordered breathing and chronic asthma, fully recovering from the conditions I had suffered from my whole life. Inspired, I left my corporate job and trained directly under Dr. Pateko. Thanks to his work, my life underwent a profound transformation. When you experience something like that, it's impossible not to want to share it. In my case, sharing it has become my passion and my profession. Over the last 13 years, I have built on Dr. Pateko's innovative approach and developed the Oxygen Advantage program, not only for significantly improving asthma control, but also for helping to improve anyone's health and fitness. I have worked with more than 5,000 individuals, running the gamut from lifelong couch potatoes to ripped ab Olympians. I'd like to tell you three stories about people whose lives radically changed because they learned how to stop overbreathing. One is a competitive athlete, one is a newly converted fitness junkie, and one was just trying to lose weight and to become a little healthier. Breathing excessively. In the Croke Park Arena in Dublin, where I'm from, more than 80,000 fans regularly crowd into the stadium to watch their favorite football teams compete. Every game feels like Super Bowl Sunday at the Croker. Irish football is more than a sporting event. It's a passion, a way of life, and a source of national pride. While the players are considered semi-professional, management spends considerable sums of money on the latest sports technology for the team members and closely monitors their lifestyle and physiological parameters 24-7. If a player eats a French fry late at night, management knows. I met David when he was a rising star at Croke Park. He was 20 years old and trained five days a week with his team. He was in excellent physical shape, but he frequently succumbed to breathlessness and experienced nasal congestion and coughing. There was nothing more exhilarating for David than to play in front of a packed stadium, but after every game he was dogged by a barking cough and his lungs felt like they were full of junk. He worked hard at his training and even harder at hiding his symptoms from his coaches and their electronic monitors. Finally, David paid a visit to his doctor and was prescribed medication, which helped slightly, 
but he still struggled to keep up with his fellow players and still worried that he would be dropped from the team if his coaches found out about his difficulties. When I first started working with David, he displayed all the characteristics of a person who was breathing far more than his body required. He breathed heavily and through his mouth, even while resting. He was getting oxygen into his lungs, but too much, and he wasn't self-regulating in the way that was natural and indispensable for a competitive athlete. Through bad habits accumulated over the years, his body was out of sync with his breath, and he had become unable to meet his own needs for CO2. I went through my program with David, and he practiced the exercises exactly as described in this book. Reduced breathing, breath holding during training, and keeping his mouth closed at night to train him to breathe through his nose. Today, David is one of the star players on his team and no longer has to hide his breathlessness from his coach, but he still has to hide his love of French fries. Like David, many competitive athletes breathe excessively, regardless of how many years they have spent training. For some, no matter how hard they train, they will never attain their ideal fitness. In addition, in order to maintain their fitness, they will need to train more than their peers. The first time athletes hear of the effects of chronic overbreathing, it can take a little while to sink in, although often it comes as a revelation, answering questions that have been at the backs of their minds for years and giving them a whole new understanding of their training. By incorporating simple practices into your existing training program, you can enjoy a more intense workout without putting extra strain on your lungs. One factor that differentiates elite athletes from others is their ability to exercise at a higher intensity with reduced breathlessness. This book will help you to understand the factors that allow oxygen to be released to organs and working muscles, enabling you to improve running economy, lowering of energy expended during running, and increase VO2 max, the maximum capacity of the body to transport and use oxygen. Throughout the years, I have witnessed miraculous results with all types of athletes, including rugby players, soccer players, runners, cyclists, swimmers, and Olympic competitors. So many of these athletes suffered from excessive breathlessness, weak diaphragms, and inefficient breathing. And the difference efficient breathing brought to their athletic ability has been nothing short of amazing to witness. Developing body strength while ignoring breathing efficiency is counterproductive, and this book will show you how to build your respiratory stamina alongside any athletic training program. Harnessing Explosive Athletic Potential While David's story is powerful, don't think that better breathing techniques only benefit elite athletes. They can be just as transformative for normal people, and in fact are often more so. Take the case of Doug. Doug is a high-powered American professional in his mid-40s. Since childhood, he battled asthma, and he never considered himself an athlete. Doug's brother, on the other hand, was the jock. When they were kids, they would go to the park, where his brother played basketball with their dad, while Doug just watched. Doug always felt like there was something wrong with his body. He did manage to row crew in college for a year, trying to follow in his father's footsteps, but after each training run, his lungs would scream for mercy. His aerobic capacity, or lack thereof, limited him, keeping an athletic lifestyle out of reach. But finally, when his father started to become frail, 
he resolved to take action so that he would be around for his own kids and grandkids. Doug started running, but he fell into his habitual gasping for breath after just a handful of steps. He realized he needed to rebuild his cardiovascular fitness from the ground up, and that's when he contacted me. By incorporating the simple program described in this book into a busy work and family life, he started making progress. From being able to run only 10 feet with his mouth closed, he progressed to running a 10K in a few months, then a half marathon after a few more, and finally the Big Sur marathon less than a year after we began working together. Doug needed to let go of lifelong breathing habits. Overbreathing distorted his self-understanding and turned him into someone who he wasn't. I needed to convey to Doug that inheriting the genetic predisposition toward asthma didn't mean he was resigned to a life of breathing problems. Asthma has been around for thousands of years, with records dating back as far as ancient Egypt. However, it has become much more prevalent since the 1980s, and considering that our gene pool doesn't change in 40 years, it is necessary to look at lifestyle and address the impact that this has on our breathing. Currently, almost 1 in 10 adults and children have asthma. And if you add the number who have cyclists cough, exercise-induced asthma, or other lung-limiting conditions, the number skyrockets. Over the years, I have worked with thousands of people like Doug who have been diagnosed with asthma, and it's nearly always the same story. Explosive athletic potential is limited by a condition they don't think they can ever overcome. By not addressing the root problem, enthusiasts like Doug often devote their formidable willpower to training practices that inevitably lead them back to square one. It doesn't have to be this way. At first, it may seem counterintuitive to think that implementing simple techniques over a short period of time can reverse decades of limitations, but that's how transformative corrective breathing is. With breath-holding exercise that unblock the nose and combat wheezing or coughing, non-professional athletes, even those with asthma, can lift their passions to an entirely new level. You may not have major athletic goals. Some of us just want to get to a weight that makes us feel good when we look in the mirror. For many people struggling to attain this sense of satisfaction, the barrier is standing right there. Not in front of them but inside them, in the quantity of air they are taking in. Without correct breathing, it's like walking up a down escalator. You get nowhere. Feeling defeated. There wasn't a diet Donna hadn't tried. You've heard of them all. Low Carb, South Beach, The Zone, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Mediterranean, Atkins, Slim Fast. You name it, she had been on it. Her medicine cabinet was filled with fat burners, carb blockers, and a host of appetite suppressants. For 25 years, she had believed that with each new diet, she would finally lose the extra 40 pounds she carried, finally be able to step outside in something other than black, form-hiding clothing, and finally reclaim the health she enjoyed when she was younger. But after the initial enthusiasm of beginning a new diet faded, the weight she lost would return and a profound sense of failure would set in. When Donna came to see me, she was defeated. She had spent thousands of dollars to slim down again and again, but she was still 40 pounds overweight and still miserable. 
She had tried just as many exercise programs as diets, but always ended up quitting because she ran out of breath after minimal exertion. As is the case for so many people, oxygen felt like an opponent rather than an ally. The sensation of intense breathlessness limited her physical endurance far more than muscle fatigue. I can't exercise because I'm too heavy, Donna said, and I can't lose weight because I can't exercise. During the few times that Donna did visit the gym, she felt totally self-conscious and out of place. She panted on the treadmill while beautifully sculpted bodies decked out in form-fitting clothing jogged effortlessly on either side of her, adding another blow to her self-confidence. It was a vicious cycle, but one I had seen many times before. Her body wasn't properly metabolizing oxygen. Donna needed a simple routine that wouldn't put excess stress on her body and breathing, but would give her fast, concrete results to keep her motivated and boost her confidence. I gave her simple breathing exercises and encouraged her to practice breathing through her nose while watching television or working at her desk. In two weeks, Donna lost six pounds. She didn't modify her diet, but her breath reduction exercises gave a kickstart to the oxygen levels in her blood, which caused her body to process foods more efficiently and naturally suppressed her appetite. She benefited from one of the most startling aspects of my program. Substantial gains can be accomplished while literally sitting on the couch. Once you see this progress, however, the last thing you'll want to do is keep sitting. Today, Donna has lost 30 pounds, and more important, she finds it easier to keep them off. My work with her and so many other people in similar situations has nothing to do with what to eat or not eat. It's critical to take a step back from the table as well as the scale in order to get a big picture view of the problem. Weight loss only occurs when the amount of calories we burn is greater than those we consume, and our breathing has a direct bearing on this process. By focusing on not just how much we eat, but how much we breathe, we cause our consumption to burning ratio to even out. With properly oxygenated cells, our bodies operate more efficiently, even or especially in passive activities like sitting. A desire for more water and less processed food naturally follows. This is why diet work is not a part of this book. The only guidance I give to people like Donna is to eat when hungry and stop when satisfied, allowing self-control to come from the inside. Putting better breathing at the center of your health plan makes you look and feel better. The Oxygen Advantage program detailed in this book is the culmination of my work with thousands of people like David, Doug, and Donna. It empowers people, regardless of their activity level, to improve their health, fitness, and performance without training more or taking any drug or supplement. The program also provides readers with the ability to easily and accurately measure advances and ensures that exercise is done safely, reducing the risk of injury. Lastly, the Oxygen Advantage program can be tailored to anyone and any lifestyle, enabling you to seamlessly incorporate it into your daily obligations and exercise routine. The chapters to come will provide knowledge and practical breathing techniques so that you can optimize oxygen release at a cellular level. The simple practices I will explain, while unknown to most athletes, have been utilized since ancient times to great effect. 
All you need to apply them is a straightforward understanding of how your breathing affects the oxygenation of your body. Part one of this book, The Secret of Breath, explains in greater detail the function of oxygen and CO2 in your body and helps you to evaluate how fit you actually are. You learn about the importance of nose breathing over mouth breathing, as well as the first key technique that will begin to reverse overbreathing. I will also teach you about the ancient breathing secrets that have been used for centuries. In part two, The Secret of Fitness, you learn about red blood cells and how utilizing them the way Olympic athletes do will carry you into a new realm of fitness. This section also introduces you to simulated high-altitude training and teaches you how to find the zone mentally as well as physically. Part 3, The Secret of Health, explores how better breathing naturally leads to weight loss and reduces the risk of sports-related injuries. It also explains the relationship between oxygenation and improved heart function. And for people prone to asthma, it gives you the tools to eliminate exercise-induced asthma. Part 4 takes everything you've learned and shows you how to construct your own personal oxygen advantage program. This section is geared towards specific groups based on their health and fitness. Breathing is generally an involuntary activity that we engage in unconsciously and rarely think about. But it's there always, every single moment we're alive, either helping us forward or holding us back. The point of this book is to elevate your awareness of how you can harness your breath to reclaim your body's natural ability to breathe in a way that will help you to achieve lifelong health and fitness, whether you are running to catch up with your kids or running to win a gold medal. My promise is that by applying the concepts and simple exercises in this book, each and every person, whether they consider themselves an athlete or not, will be able to attain tangible and profound improvements to their health, fitness and performance within just a few weeks. Isn't it time you did more? Conditioning, winning, living with less effort? Part 1. The Secret of Breath. Chapter 1. The Oxygen Paradox. Sport has always been the great love of Don Gordon's life. He loved Everything about it, the sweat, the competition, the adversity, the triumph. Growing up, he attended many races and football games with his father, watching his favorite competitors and aspiring to be just like them. Nothing compared to the atmosphere of a good game. The excitement of the fans, the shouts of encouragement or profanities according to the progress of the game, and always the belief and the hope that one day he would be just like the athletes he idolized. As a teenager, cycling was Don's sport. He spent hours training on his bike, but he could never quite keep up with his fellow cyclists. He tired quickly, and more often than not, found himself breathless, watching from a distance as his friends rode their bikes farther and longer than he ever could. As time passed, Don reluctantly gave up his dream of competing like the athletes he so admired as a boy. He finally accepted that there was no place for him in the world of competitive cycling. Twenty years later, Don had become director of European operations in a leading American technology firm. While on a trip to Europe, he happened across my Oxygen Advantage program. Because Don had tried so many things before, he was skeptical, but decided to give it a shot. 
He got in touch with me, and in our first session together, I gave him the crash course I gave you in the introduction to this book. He had never considered the relationship between physical capacity and correct breathing, but with a new understanding of the potential of improved body oxygenation, Don began practicing the exercises I gave him. Within days, he felt better and had greater energy than ever before. Flash forward to today. Don has been free of wheezing, allergies, and medication for more than seven years. He is also now a competitive long-distance cycler, and in his most recent race, he finished first in his age division. And here's the best part. At the age of 58, he had the 29th fastest overall time across a wide field of 320 competitors, including exceedingly fit 20 to 30-year-olds. He has finally come to resemble the athletes he so looked up to as a boy. Getting his breathing right was the key to changing everything for Don. Breathing is natural and involuntary. We don't have to remember to breathe in and out. If we did, either we would have to devote all of our time and energy to it, or we would have stopped living a long time ago. But while breathing is our most instinctive act, many factors of modern life negatively affect our breathing. And worse still, we're highly misinformed about how our breathing affects our bodies during physical exertion. During a presentation to a group of runners who were due to compete in the Dublin City Marathon the next day, I posed this question. Who here believes that taking a large breath into the lungs during rest will increase oxygen content of the blood? Without hesitation, 95% of the runners raised their hands. They were wrong, but they aren't alone. This belief is widespread in the world of sports and fitness. But taking a large breath into the lungs during rest will not increase oxygen content. It is exactly the wrong thing to do if you seek greater endurance. Based on this misconception, many athletes adopt the practice of intentionally taking deep breaths during rest and training, and especially when their bodies are overtaxed. By doing so, however, they, in fact, limit and sometimes even diminish their performance. As I will explain, however, it is possible to reverse these negative influences of modern life and to condition our body to breathe healthy amounts of air during resting periods. By doing so, we ensure that the right amount of oxygen is powering our muscles, lungs, and heart. This will lead to reduced breathlessness during physical exercise, which in turn will make improved fitness more attainable. Better breathing is the gateway to a new realm of health. Breathe right to maximize oxygenation of your brain, heart, and other working muscles. Before you start the oxygen advantage exercises, it is important for you to have a basic understanding of the respiratory system and the role of carbon dioxide in your body. If you would like to bypass the science, you can go straight to Chapter 2, but the more you know the more you can work with your body and not against it. The respiratory system. Your respiratory system comprises the parts of your body that deliver oxygen from the atmosphere to your cells and tissues and transport the carbon dioxide produced in your tissues back into the atmosphere. Your respiratory system contains everything you need to adequately oxygenate your body for exercise and high-performance sports, so long as you allow it to function properly. When we breathe, air enters the body and flows down the windpipe, trachea, which then divides into two branches called 
bronchi. One branch leads to the right lung, the other to the left. Within your lungs, the bronchi further subdivide into small branches called bronchioles, and eventually into a multitude of small air sacs called alveoli. To visualize this complex system, imagine an upside-down tree. Your trachea is the trunk, and the bronchi form two large branches at the top of it, from which the smaller branches of the bronchioles grow. At the end of these branches are the leaves, the round sacs of the alveoli, which transport oxygen into the blood. It is quite a striking example of evolutionary balance and beauty that the trees around us that give off oxygen and the trees in our lungs that absorb it share a similar structure. The lungs contain approximately 300 million alveoli, each of which is surrounded by tiny blood vessels called capillaries. To put this immense number in context, the area of contact between your alveoli and blood capillaries is equivalent to the size of a tennis court. This large, impressively contained surface provides the potential for an extremely efficient transfer of oxygen to the blood. As I've explained, oxygen is the fuel that muscles need to work efficiently. It is, however, a common misconception that breathing in a larger volume of air increases the oxygenation of the blood. It is physiologically impossible to increase the oxygen saturation of the blood in this way because the blood is almost always already fully saturated. It would be like pouring more water into a glass that is already filled to the brim. But what is oxygen saturation exactly, and how does it relate to properly oxygenating our muscles? Oxygen saturation, SpO2, is the percentage of oxygen-carrying red blood cells, hemoglobin molecules, containing oxygen within the blood. During periods of rest, the standard breathing volume for a healthy person is between 4 and 6 litres of air per minute, which results in almost complete oxygen saturation of 95 to 99%. Because oxygen is continually diffusing from the blood into the cells, 100% saturation is not always feasible. An oxygen saturation of 100% would suggest that the bond between red blood cells and oxygen molecules is too strong, reducing the blood cells' ability to deliver oxygen to muscles, organs, and tissues. We need the blood to release oxygen, not hold on to it. The human body actually carries a surplus of oxygen in the blood. 75% is exhaled during rest, and as much as 25% is exhaled during physical exercise. Increasing oxygen saturation to 100% has no added benefits. The idea of taking bigger breaths to take in more oxygen is akin to telling an individual who is already eating enough food to provide their daily caloric needs that they need to eat more. Many of my students initially have a hard time grasping this. For years, they have been indoctrinated with the benefits of taking deep breaths by well-meaning stress counselors, yoga practitioners, physiotherapists, and sports coaches, not to mention the Western media. And it's easy to see why this belief is perpetuated. Taking a large breath can actually feel good, even if it can actually be bad for you. Just as a cat enjoys a good stretch following a midday nap, Taking a big breath into the lungs stretches the upper part of the body, allowing a feeling of relaxation to follow. But this leads many to believe that with breathing, bigger is better.
regulation of breathing. There are two main aspects to the way you breathe. The rate or number of breaths you take in the space of one minute and the volume or amount of air drawn into your lungs with each breath. Although the two are separate, one generally influences the other. The volume of each breath of air we inhale and exhale is measured in liters and measurements are usually taken over one minute. In conventional medicine, the accepted number of breaths a healthy person takes during that minute is 10 to 12, with each breath drawing in a volume of 500 milliliters of air for a total volume of 5 to 6 liters. To visualize this amount of air, imagine how much air could be contained in about three 2-liter soft drink bottles. If a person is breathing at a higher rate, at 20 breaths per minute, for example, then the volume will also be higher. But overbreathing doesn't just come from an elevated rate. A lower rate can have the same effect if the individual is taking in too much air with each breath. Ten large breaths of 1,000 milliliters would also be evidence of overbreathing. In the next chapter, you will be able to measure your own relative breathing volume using a breath hold test called the body oxygen level test, or BOLT. So how do we ensure that we breathe correctly so as to make optimal use of our amazing respiratory system? As odd as this may seem, it's not oxygen that exerts the primary influence on your breathing efficiency, but carbon dioxide. The rate and volume of breathing is determined by receptors in the brain that work in a way similar to a thermostat regulating the heating system in a home. However, instead of monitoring fluctuations in temperature, these receptors monitor the concentration of carbon dioxide and oxygen in your blood, along with the acidity, or pH, level. When levels of carbon dioxide increase above a certain amount, these sensitive receptors stimulate breathing in order to get rid of the excess gas. In other words, the primary stimulus to breathe is to eliminate excess carbon dioxide from the body. Carbon dioxide is an end product of the natural process of breaking down the fats and carbohydrates we eat. CO2 is returned from the tissues and cells to the lungs via blood vessels and any excess is exhaled. Crucially, however, part of your body's quotient of carbon dioxide is retained when you exhale. Correct breathing both relies on and results in the right amount of carbon dioxide being retained in your lungs. Understanding this is just as important for serious athletes as it is for anyone interested in basic fitness or in weight management. Think of it this way. CO2 is the doorway that lets oxygen reach our muscles. If the door is only partially open, only some of the oxygen at our disposal passes through and we find ourselves gasping during exercise, often with our limbs cramping. If, on the other hand, the door is wide open, oxygen flows through the doorway and we can sustain physical activity longer and at a higher intensity. But to understand how our breathing works, we must dig a bit deeper into the crucial role carbon dioxide plays in making it as efficient as possible. Chronic hyperventilation or overbreathing simply means the habit of breathing a volume of air greater than that which your body requires. It does not necessarily manifest as dramatic symptoms, such as the panting a person might experience during a panic attack. 
when we breathe in excess of what we require, too much carbon dioxide is exhaled from the lungs and hence is removed from the blood. It forces that door to a more closed position, making it harder for oxygen to pass through. Breathing too much for short periods of time is not a significant problem as no permanent change in the body occurs. However, when we breathe too much over an extended period of days to weeks, a biochemical change takes place inside us that results in an increased sensitivity or lower tolerance to carbon dioxide. With this lower set point, breathing volume remains above normal as the receptors in the brain continuously stimulate breathing in order to get rid of carbon dioxide that is perceived to be in excess of the receptor's programmed limits. The result is the habit of chronic overbreathing or chronic hyperventilation with all its negative manifestations. In other words, certain circumstances can train our body to breathe in such a way that goes against its own interests. To counteract those bad habits, you must retrain yourself to breathe better. I often ask my groups of students this question. Who feels that they are more tired than they should be? Usually, about 80% raise their hands. My job is to help them understand why. With the aid of a pulse oximeter, I have measured the oxygen saturation of thousands of people, and the vast majority display normal blood oxygen saturations of between 95 and 99%. Footnote. From time to time, I do see an individual with lower blood oxygen saturation, but this generally results from severe lung obstruction, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Why would this be? Their blood oxygen saturations are normal, yet they constantly feel tired. The problem is not a lack of oxygen in the blood, but that not enough oxygen is being released from the blood to tissues and organs, including the brain, resulting in feelings of lethargy and exhaustion. This happens because too much carbon dioxide has been expelled from the body. As we shall see further on, habitual overbreathing influences the release of oxygen from red blood cells, the consequences of which can affect day-to-day well-being as well as performance during exercise. This ties back to the Bohr effect, which I touched on in the introduction and will expand on shortly. One's breathing volume can be two or three times the required amount without it being overtly noticeable. Once the pattern of overbreathing is established, it is often maintained by an occasional deep breath or sigh. When such a habit becomes ingrained both mentally and physically, you will breathe in excess of what is required every minute, every hour, and every day. This subtle alteration to your body's natural functioning can hinder you greatly. And it doesn't just happen while we're conscious. Many people sleep with their mouth open, and whether they realize it or not, this drags down their physical and mental energy. So why is it that the benefits of light breathing are relatively unknown? It is difficult to know the exact answer, although a number of points are worth bearing in mind. The first is that air is weightless and therefore difficult to measure, and breathing can change quickly and effortlessly during the measuring process. The second is that doctors learn how oxygen is released from the red blood cells early on in their studies. The Bohr effect is described in most basic medical school physiology textbooks. So it is possible that this information is simply forgotten by the time of graduation. Another reason may be that overbreathing affects each person individually, 
resulting in a wide variety of problems that may not necessarily appear to be connected from cardiovascular, respiratory and gastrointestinal issues to general exhaustion. To add even more confusion, not everyone who overbreathes will develop obvious symptoms as the effects of hyperventilation depend on genetic predisposition. Finally, given the lack of awareness of the relationship between breathing volume and health, so many chronic overbreathers have learned to tolerate the stunted levels of energy and fitness incorrect breathing leaves them with in day-to-day -day life. But shaking ourselves out of this complacent attitude toward our breath and putting it at the center of our health often produces more dramatic changes than any diet. So, how can we regulate the amount of air we breathe in order to optimize our fitness and athletic performance? As you know by now, the vital ingredient is carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, not just a waste of gas. The concentration of carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere is very low, which means that we don't carry it into our lungs when we breathe. Instead, we produce it in tissue cells during the process of converting food and oxygen into energy. Maintaining a correct breathing volume ensures that the ideal amount of carbon dioxide remains in the lungs, blood, tissues and cells. Carbon dioxide performs a number of vital functions in the human body, including offloading of oxygen from the blood to be used by the cells, the dilation of the smooth muscle in the walls of the airways and blood vessels, the regulation of blood pH, delivery of oxygen from the blood to the muscles and organs. Hemoglobin is a protein found in the blood, and one of its functions is to carry oxygen from the lungs to the tissues and cells. A fundamental element of the oxygen advantage technique is to understand the Bohr effect, the way in which oxygen is released from hemoglobin and delivered to the muscles and organs. This process forms the core of unlocking your body's true fitness potential, allowing you to raise your game and achieve the results you really want. The Bohr effect was discovered in 1904 by the Danish physiologist Christian Bohr, father of Niels Bohr, the Nobel Prize-winning physicist and footballer. In the words of Christian Bohr, the carbon dioxide pressure of the blood is to be regarded as an important factor in the inner respiratory metabolism. If one uses carbon dioxide in appropriate amounts, the oxygen that was taken up can be used more efficiently throughout the body. The crucial point to remember is that hemoglobin releases oxygen when in the presence of carbon dioxide. When we overbreathe, too much carbon dioxide is washed from the lungs, blood, tissues and cells. This condition is called hypocapnia, causing the hemoglobin to hold on to oxygen, resulting in reduced oxygen release and therefore reduced oxygen delivery to tissues and organs. With less oxygen delivered to the muscles, they cannot work as effectively as we might like them to. As counterintuitive as it may seem, the urge to take bigger, deeper breaths when we hit the wall during exercise does not provide the muscles with more oxygen, but effectively reduces oxygenation even further. In contrast, when breathing volume remains nearer to correct levels, the pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood is higher, loosening the bond between hemoglobin and oxygen and facilitating the delivery of oxygen to the muscles and organs. John West, 
author of Respiratory Physiology, tells us that an exercising muscle is hot and generates carbon dioxide and it benefits from increased unloading of O2 oxygen from its capillaries. The better we can fuel our muscles with oxygen during activity, the longer and harder they can work. In light of the Bohr effect, overbreathing limits the release of oxygen from the blood and in turn affects how well our muscles are able to work. Dilation and constriction of airways and blood vessels. Breathing too much can also cause reduced blood flow. For the vast majority of people, two minutes of heavy breathing is enough to reduce blood circulation throughout the body, including the brain, which can cause a feeling of dizziness and lightheadedness. In general, blood flow to the brain reduces proportionately to each reduction in carbon dioxide. A study by Dr. Daniel M. Gibbs which was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry to assess arterial constriction induced by excessive breathing, found that the diameter of blood vessels reduced in some individuals by as much as 50%. Based on the formula pi r squared, which measures the area of a circle, blood flow decreases by a factor of four. This shows you how radically overbreathing can affect your blood flow. Most people will have experienced constriction of blood flow to the brain resulting from overbreathing. It doesn't take very long to feel the onset of dizziness from taking a few big breaths in and out through the mouth. Similarly, many individuals who sleep with their mouth open may find it difficult to get going in the morning. However long they sleep, they are still tired and groggy for the first few hours after waking. It is well documented that habitual mouth breathing during waking and sleeping hours results in fatigue, poor concentration, reduced productivity, and a bad mood. Hardly an ideal recipe for quality living or a productive exercise program. The same can also be true of individuals whose occupation involves considerable talking, such as school teachers or salespeople. People in these professions are often all too aware of how tired they feel after a day of work, but the exhaustion that follows endless business meetings is not necessarily due to mental or physical effort. More likely, it is a result of the effects of elevated breathing levels during excessive talking. It is normal for breathing to increase during physical exercise as the body demands more oxygen to convert food into energy. However, in the case of talking, Breathing increases without an actual need for more oxygen, causing a disturbance to blood gases and reducing blood flow. Depending on genetic predisposition to asthma, the loss of carbon dioxide in the blood can also cause the smooth muscles of the airways to constrict, resulting in wheezing and breathlessness. However, an increase of carbon dioxide opens up the airways to allow a better oxygen transfer to take place and has been shown to improve breathing for persons diagnosed with asthma. But at the end of the day, we're all operating on the same spectrum, with good breathing on one end and bad breathing on the other. It's not just people with asthma who benefit from less constricted airways. The feeling of chest tightness, excessive breathlessness, cough, and the inability to take a satisfying breath is experienced by many athletes, including those without a prior history of asthma, but can be eliminated by simply improving the way you breathe. The regulation of blood pH. In addition to determining how much oxygen is released into your tissues and cells, 
carbon dioxide also plays a central role in regulating the pH of the bloodstream, how acidic or alkaline your blood is. Normal pH in the blood is 7.365, and this level must remain within a tightly defined range or the body is forced to compensate. For example, when the blood's pH becomes more alkaline, breathing reduces to allow carbon dioxide levels to rise and restore pH. Conversely, if the pH of the blood is too acidic, as it is when you overconsume processed foods, breathing increases in order to offload carbon dioxide as acid, allowing pH to normalize. Maintaining normal blood pH is vital to our survival. If pH is too acidic and drops below 6.8 or too alkaline and rises above 7.8, the result can be fatal. This is because pH levels directly affect the ability of our internal organs and metabolism to function. Scientific evidence clearly shows that carbon dioxide is an essential element, not just in regulating our breathing, optimizing blood flow and releasing oxygen to the muscles, but also maintaining correct pH levels. In short, our body's relationship with carbon dioxide determines how healthy we can be, affecting nearly every aspect of how our body functions. Better breathing allows carbon dioxide to ensure that all the interlocking parts of our system work together in harmony, allowing us to achieve our maximum potential in sporting performance, endurance, and strength. Without the requisite amount of CO2 in the blood, Blood vessels constrict and hemoglobin cannot release oxygen into the bloodstream. Without the requisite amount of oxygen, working muscles do not perform as effectively as they should. We become breathless or hit a wall in our capabilities. It becomes a cycle. It's not just the breathless exertion that leads to panting. It's the panting that leads to breathless exertion. In the chapters to come, you learn how to break this cycle and build a new positive one. Eliminating overbreathing is the key to harnessing the potential of the CO2 you already have inside you. Knowing how your respiratory system works is the first step in this empowering process, as it was for Alison, an amateur athlete who was an avid cyclist. I met Alison when she was 37 years old, and she had been cycling seriously since her late teens. She trained two to three times each week without fail, cycling up to 37 miles during each session. Cycling allowed Alison to have her own time, to leave her thoughts and worries behind, and to get out into nature and feel the breeze on her face. Despite her years of regular training, Alison was experiencing excessive breathlessness and a desperate need for air, even while cycling at a moderate pace. During her long rides, she often experienced lightheadedness and nausea, requiring her to get off her bike and wait for a few minutes by the side of the road to recover. Sometimes this problem was so severe that she felt like throwing up or fainting. Given her dedication to her training, she didn't understand why she wasn't in better condition. Wasn't in better condition, like her more fit cycling companions. These bouts of nauseous dizziness continued, so Alison visited her doctor and then a specialist. They both ruled out asthma and any heart problems, giving her a clean bill of health. But the problem didn't resolve itself, and Alison's anxiety grew. She knew something was wrong, even though the medical tests and examinations revealed nothing. 
A local sports coach put Alison in touch with me, and I immediately recognized signs of habitual mouth breathing, including excessive breathing movements from the upper chest. She sighed regularly and often felt short of air. Her bad breathing occurred not just while exercising, but in her everyday life. So she had created a self-reinforcing cycle that severely limited her abilities. While most health professionals would not give a moment's thought to Alison's breath, I was in no doubt that better breathing was the answer to her problem. Alison was enormously relieved when I made her aware of her over-breathing habit as the root of her symptoms. She understood straight away that if she was breathing too much during her everyday activities, then it stood to reason that her breathing would increase proportionately during sports, leading to excessive breathlessness. As is the case with many people, and not just athletes like Alison, overbreathing had thrown off her whole system. By losing the carbon dioxide her body so badly needed in order to send oxygen to her heart, other muscles, lungs and head, she had hamstrung her own abilities. The breathlessness caused by mouth breathing had created a vicious cycle in which Alison felt the need to take in larger breaths to cope, resulting in a breathing volume that was even further increased. Following two weeks of practicing the various exercises in this book, Alison reduced her breathlessness and her nausea and fainting stopped. Her fitness levels and health also improved remarkably. She felt calmer, slept better, and had more energy throughout the day. Of course, not everyone with overbreathing experiences blackouts, as the effects of overbreathing will depend on genetic predisposition, which we will discuss in chapter 13. But in all cases, there will be some negative symptoms to be found. Often unexplainable by doctors and specialists, as was the case with Alison. As the late chest physician Claude Lem explained, breathing too much presents a collection of bizarre and often apparently unrelated symptoms which may affect any part of the body and any organ or any system. It's crucial to identify overbreathing as soon as possible so as not to arrive at the extreme symptoms Alison found herself battling. In the next chapter, we will look at a very simple way to measure our tolerance to carbon dioxide and relative breathing volume and what this means to our health and sports performance. Finally, and more important, we will begin to learn the first steps to improving body oxygenation. Chapter 2. Alright guys, I was just uh, planning on sharing the intro and the first chapter of this incredible eye-opening book. Um... The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McCune. Um, one of, sorry, one of the top uh, thought leaders on um, the importance of proper breathing. Um, learned from Konstantin Buteyko, a Russian physicist, um, and uh, he's incorporated into a, into a book. And it's an excellent book. There's also, uh, that was just the intro on in the first chapter, like I said, but um, fantastic book. The later chapters get more into um, sports um, techniques and stuff for, for proper breathing to, to beat your competition, essentially. But um, in my 
in my opinion, unless you're, you know, into sports and you're a competitive athlete, you don't really need those later chapters. So even if you just get the book and you read um, the first couple chapters, you should be pretty good to go. Uh, have a good foundation, and even if you just re repeated those chapters, you'd be pretty good. But I would highly, highly recommend getting that book, The Oxygen Advantage, as well as um, another one called Breathe um, by um, Belisa Vranich, B-E-L-I-S-A-V-R-A-N-I-C-H, Belisa Vranich. Maybe I'll comment that. And in the School of Wellness, you might see from time to time during these uh, uh, wellness campfires, me sharing an excerpt from a book, from an audio book, or reading something um, from a book um, or a magazine or some article online or something like this. I'm just going to try to get creative with these campfire um, sessions. Um, tentatively doing this every other day, um, so it will just kind of depend on, uh, you know, how things are going. If I'm busy, uh, I probably will skip a night, but in general, I'm probably going to try to stick to two or every two days so that, you know, if you miss me, uh, what's today, Monday, if you miss me this week, if I stuck to the two every other day, <laughs> Uh, I, you'd probably get me next week on Monday, so I figured it could work out. Also, I might change the time. So if you haven't followed me already, follow this um, podcast so that you get notified next time I go live. Um, yeah, good stuff. Uh, we're going to learn a lot here. Um, I hope uh, at some point I'm going to be bringing on people that even – myself can learn from. I, I know a lot, but I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything, so I'm looking forward to learning from you guys and uh, some of the other people that I want to bring on here. And in the future, when I'm not doing a book excerpt, I would I would like to have callers call in. I'd be happy to field some calls and answer some questions um, about any of this as best I can. And if I don't know, I'll say it. Be honest. I'm not gonna pretend like I know something that I don't. But anyway, um, hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, until the next one, I love you all. Bye for now. Hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. Enjoy your week.